Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Mark's Gospel. I'm going to be teaching for just a few minutes on what I've called a lesson tonight. And guys, we can go ahead and you can follow me along. Conditions for receiving your deliverance. Conditions for receiving your deliverance or receiving your freedom. We've done this 26 times since 2005. Uh, we've been going away or either uh, having them here, these encounter weekends. And we've seen people experience incredible things, wonderful things, freeing things. But yet at the same time, we've also had people who have come, and I believe in all sincerity and genuineness, and yet they seem to never be able to quite get free or get over the hump or get over the sin that so easily besets or, or to break that final link in a chain in their life that seems to constantly nag them. They, they seem to just have this one area. Now, everybody, you understand, everybody's got usually their one area. We, we've, all, we've all got that one proclivity that for us, it's the one. It may not be the same one as another person, and they can't understand it. But for us, it's our one. And when it's our one, it's an important one. It may not be what everybody else has, but I will assure you, it seems like everyone has that one area that can consistently challenge them. And when we're not making progress in defeating it, overcoming it, finding victory, what happens is we get frustrated. We get discouraged. We want to throw in the towel. We want to give up. And as I began to think about that, and I began to think even as God has worked in my life and in our household and all of these things, I came to understand that when it comes to being set free or when it comes to being whole, when it comes to being healed, and we're going to talk about wholeness through the weekend, inner healing, we're going to talk about things that maybe some of you have never heard before, and when you address it, it's going to open up a whole new level of wholeness to your life, completion, freedom, but I found, can you hear me? All right, there is heat in the house. What did they do in the first century without lavalier mics? They screamed, didn't they? All right, Mark's Gospel. We're, we're going to get there, aren't we? Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. I want to read an incredibly interesting story um, that will captivate you. Mark 5, beginning with verse 1, it says this. And they, and what that means is Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, meaning Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said, meaning Jesus, to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I'm going to stop reading there. You might want to keep your thumb in that passage because... Verse 10 through verse 20 is the rest of the story, and I'm, I'm probably going to refer to that as well as we talk a little bit tonight. 
But let me tell you just a little bit of what's going on here, and then we'll talk about some conditions for freedom. Jesus had just finished an extended time of teaching uh, thousands of people, the multitudes, on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. And it was the story of when it was the end of the day, he jumped into a boat, he and his disciples, they were crossing the sea. And, and uh, the context of it was that was the time they're in the middle of the sea and the wind storm comes up and everybody's very concerned, they're, they're afraid, and, and Jesus speaks a word and uh, the storm is calm, the winds are calmed. They finish going across this sea and they land over on the other side of the sea in a place called, some of your versions will say Gennesaret, uh, my version I think said Gadara, same place. And, and you got to understand the picture here. It's nighttime. And, and you land on the other side of the sea, and it's nighttime, and the first place you get to is a graveyard. How I many of you know that's a creepy story right there? And not only to say it's a graveyard, but instantly as you get out of the boat in this graveyard, somebody who's naked comes screaming out of the graveyard. That's weird. That's weird in any century. And so you got, you, you're starting to get the picture, man. It's night, there's this graveyard, it's like a Hollywood movie. Naked guy, so you know it's R-rated. Comes running out of the, the, the graveyard. And, and he's screaming, the Bible tells us, he's, he's been dwelling there among the tombs, nobody can handle him. He, he's out of his mind, they try to put him in shackles, he breaks them. It says that he's crying out, he's, he's, he's cutting himself. How many of you know that this is a picture of a dysfunctional person? I, I, don't have, I don't have to go too far for reading this that you can say he's got some problems. He's an oppressed individual. It seems hopeless. But the hope of the story is this. That if Jesus can help a man that is this dysfunctional... Now, here's the good news about whenever you come to moments like these, is when you get a picture of somebody who's worse than you, sometimes that's good news, isn't it? I am not the worst one in the room. That's just sometimes, that's sometimes good news. I've got problems, but I don't have those problems. Now, if Jesus can help somebody with the depth of dysfunction this man has, surely he can help us. Yes, he can, if you meet the same conditions this fellow met. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the connection between psychological dysfunction, possession, and oppression. Now, again, through the weekend, we're not just dealing with deliverance. We're talking about inner healing. Uh, we're talking about um, um, you know, healing of wounds and heart hurts and things like this as well. But, but we've, we've got to deal with the enemy first. We've got to get after him first. And let's talk about this. Years ago, there was a guy by the name of M. Scott Peck. He was a psychiatrist. Some of you may recognize the name because he wrote a book that was real popular that was called The Road Less Traveled. And uh, while that was his popular book, his more interesting book that he wrote a little bit later was called People of the Lie. And in that book, he wrote about evil. He wrote about people that did not fit into the clinical definition of, of psychotic or neurotic, but he began to delve into the concept as a secular psychiatrist as to people who may have issues with the devil. 
in their life. And, and it was an interesting book because he's coming at it from a whole different angle. He's a, he's a therapeutic psychiatrist, and he's, he's wrestling with the concept of the enemy. Now, it's interesting because he came after it from this, this psychological viewpoint. Of course, I'm going to come after it from more of a scriptural viewpoint. But the thing that he began to understand and be, began to uh, admit, and the thing I will admit as well, is that in people's lives there are issues that are psychological disorders, there are issues in people's lives that are, that are probably the flesh. There are issues in people's lives, though, that are oppressions from spiritual entities. And for some, it even falls so deep into the area of possession. I believe any of these things can happen in people's lives. Now, I tell you this up front because you can't blame everything that's going on in your life on the devil. Now, this is really important. The devil has his fingers in lots of things. But you can't blame everything that's gone on in your life on the devil. Uh, he's, he may use things in your life to exploit them, but it might not be at its root uh, the devil. So we need to be sure that as we start this little journey tonight, that a part of you getting your freedom is you taking responsibility for the work that it's going to take in order to break out of whatever it is that's defeating you. You're going to have to put some energy to the equation. You're going to have to put some effort into the work. The Lord will empower you. He will deliver you from those areas that the enemy has done his work in your life. But you're going to find out that because the enemy's been there, and then you've lived that way for so long, you've begun to develop habits and patterns in your life that are no longer being manipulated by the enemy, but by virtue of that's just how you've lived your whole life, you're going to have to work to break some patterns, habits in your life that you have begun to develop. Okay? So, so as we deal with all of this, again, there's a legitimate place for looking at people and saying you've got a psychological disorder. I believe there's a legitimate place, and I want to say this out loud, for people to be medicated for certain mental illness. I believe that to be so. I, I think there is some illness that is uh, what they call chemical imbalance. And you need medication in order to bring balance to that. Now, having said that, and for me admitting that that's a possibility, I want to also say this, that there are too many people popping pills for things that you could get victory over if you just got spiritual precept working in your life. I don't believe it's any, I don't believe it's God's will for people to live on lithium and Prozac for the rest of their lives. I just don't believe that. Now, I understand you may need it even, even for a season to get handles on things. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there's no place for it, but I'm just saying that's the goal is not living in a, in a stupor the rest of our lives. Okay. So, so this is what we do here. And this man in our text we find out is not just psychologically impaired, but the Bible says that he's demonized. Now, what's the difference between psychological dysfunction and oppression and possession? Now, I'm going to say this real quickly tonight. Do not get your views from Hollywood. Don't go watch The Exorcist and see Linda Blair turn her head 360 degrees and vomit, you know, pea soup and think that's what it looks like. That, that has nothing to do with Hollywood has nothing. Hollywood has no understanding of this whole area. So don't think it has anything to do with, you know, 
Friday the 13th and Halloween and Freddy Krueger and, 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 and Damien and the Omen and all these other things Hollywood does to try to, try to frighten us with, with these evil things. Uh, there is a place of oppression and possession, and I want to talk about that. Guys, post on the screen. Yeah, uh, demonizomai. Uh, demoniozai is how it's in another tense. But it literally means it's the word here to be demonized. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute, to be demonized. Um, in the Old King James Version, if you carry an Old King James Version, a lot of times they'll translate that word possession. Possession. Um, it really isn't good to, to translate it possession. It, it literally means to have a demon is what it means. And that doesn't mean that you're possessed. It could mean anything from possession to oppression. Now, I put up on the screen, and you can see this, that possession equals ownership. If you're possessed, that means the enemy owns you. Now, this is important. Uh, because if you're a Christian... And there are many people who teach this, and I think I, I just I, they're wrong. I just I, they're wrong experientially and they're wrong scripturally. I've had people teach that if you're a Christian, there can be no demonic influence in your life, and that's not true. Say, well, what do you mean that's not true? How can how can you know that be true if if, if you've received Jesus? How can how can demons have influence over you? Let me tell you this: Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, the Ephesian church believers. This is what he said. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers, principalities, world forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. We. You know what we means? Us. Us. You would later say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And we're pulling down every high thought, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so Paul says that even as a believer, it is possible for you to be oppressed. Now, what oppression means is simply what level of influence these forces have in your life. Now, again, possession means ownership. You may not be owned by the devil, but you can be a believer. Jesus can be in your heart. And you can have such a high level of oppression happening in your life that for all practical purposes, you can look possessed. Because you're just, you're so oppressed. Their influence is so great in you, through you, around you, that you're totally dysfunctional. And you love God, and you're saved, and you want to do right. And there's a whole lot of things that we could look at and affirm as a Christian person, but you are just incredibly oppressed. And, and for Christians at large, uh, I find that there are different levels of oppression. I've seen them so greatly oppressed that you would think they would be possessed. But anyone can be oppressed. And most people are to some level, unless they're ministered to in deliverance. I wrote that up there. Anyone can be oppressed. Most people are to some level, unless specifically ministered to, in deliverance. Now, we won't have time to deal with all of these subjects, uh, but, you know, the Bible also teaches that because we're carnal creatures that we can operate in the flesh, and sometimes if we let the flesh go, it can look demonic. And, and how many of you realize you can't cast out your flesh? 
I've got, I've got sometimes, you know, uh, stories of folks, and they'll get super, I'll just use for an example, angry. They'll get super angry, and, and uh, you know, they'll think they've got a spirit of anger. Well, you could, or it could be your flesh. Your flesh has just not been put under self-control. It's not gone to the cross, and that needs to be crucified. So we can't cast out your flesh, and encounter won't crucify the flesh, but it will address the enemy's influence in your life, all right? It's not going to take care of neurosis and psychosis, but when we can begin to set you free from the influences of the enemy, then you have the opportunity and the possibility to begin to renew your mind, to implement the things in the scripture that it says we should do in order that we can maintain and walk in freedom and wholeness and completion. The reason it's so hard for many people at this moment is because truly they're not only fighting the patterns that they've developed in their life, but they're fighting the enemy as well, who's exploiting those patterns. But if you can cut the enemy's hands off of all of that, then at least you have the capacity to seek God, be empowered by him, and break free from the habits, patterns, and ways that have taken place. And, and again, for some of us, I mean, there were decades of generating these particular patterns in our lives. All right? Now, why is all this important? Throw it on the screen. Why is this important? Because you must have the appropriate expectation for deliverance. You must have the appropriate expectation for deliverance. I, this is what I mean. You can't come to encounter and say, if I get to encounter, it'll all be better. Well, it could be. It could be. But if you come to encounter and you just kind of sit here and you say, well, here I am. And we had, we had a lady come in one time that was just like that. Marie, but it's a lady, she had, she had a genuine demon or two, or ten. And, and her view was, here I am, get rid of them. Well, can I just say this? You got to want to be free. For many people, they, they want to be free when it just interferes with their life. If it didn't interfere with their life so much, they wouldn't care if the demon set up shop and created a mall and called their buddies in. But, but you must have the appropriate expectation for deliverance. And we're going to talk just a little bit more about that here in just a moment. Number two, I, I tell you this because not everything is demonic. However, not everything is fixed by medication either. And so we, we want to walk, and, and I feel like we walk in a scriptural way. I'm not, I don't like the word balance because balance makes it sound like we're compromised. But, but we do walk, I believe, scripturally in the sense that I will affirm that there are places that medication is, is, is important for a person in order to find a path to freedom. But not everything is solved by popping a pill. And so, and so we've got to understand, am I popping pills because I don't want to do the work? See, you can medicate yourself, and a lot of people are walking around on their Prozacs and Lithiums, and they've medicated their devils. And that's all they've done. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't need to happen for a season in order to get life kind of back in order, but, but I don't believe you were meant to live that way. Now, let me give you what I've written down here, eight signs of an oppression, eight signs of an oppression. Now, I didn't give you little notes you can write. In fact, this whole weekend, we're not handing notes out this weekend. We've done that for years. And the reason we gave notes out was that we hoped people would read them when they left. But obviously, many don't. 
So I decided that we're not going to create big notebooks for everybody anymore, but you're going to have to work to take notes. Isn't that good? You want to be free? Take some notes. I remember when I, when I went to school, if I wanted to get a good grade in the class, I took notes. The teacher didn't hand me everything that I needed. So anyway, but I at least put them up all at once and you can begin writing. So it's not like you have to watch them fly in and fly out. But I'm going to give you some signs. And I take these signs from this guy here, this guy in the tombs of Gadara, eight signs of oppression. Now, I read this to you. Let me just bring some things out and show you. Now, there's different levels of influence. Remember, there's different levels of dysfunction in people's lives. Some of us are mild, mildly dysfunctional. Some of us are, are, are severely dysfunctional. Some of us have areas where it's very acute, sporadic, and there are other times it's chronic, and it's all the time. Here's a guy that's got major problems. He's just, he's just imaging for us what many of us face, maybe not all of these things, but some of these things, but he's just imaging these things at a, at a chronic, severe level that may be happening at a less of a level, but, but it still is causing us breakdown. Number one. An oppressed person lives in isolation. Lives, if you like isolation, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. God really didn't create us for isolation. Now, you're talking to a person that can go into a room filled with people, and I'm perfectly happy being by myself. I understand what that can mean. But we've got to have relationships. There's got to be interaction. There's got to, you've got to be around people. It's not good to live in isolation. This guy was in the tombs. No one was around. I'm telling you, that was not high-priced real estate, the graveyard. I mean, nobody wanted to live there with him. He, he was in isolation. Isolation oftentimes is, is a, a sign, a signal that something's not right. How, how many of you remember Howard Hughes? Remember the billionaire? And at the end of his life, he sat in a dark room watching movies and nobody could get in. He was in isolation. Despite having billions of dollars, it didn't fix what his problem was. So that's just a sign, a, a sign of being oppressed. Number two, they choose to live in toxic environments. <clears throat> when you're dysfunctional and you refuse to remove yourself from the toxic environment, something's wrong. You could be, uh, you could be enabled in that environment. You could be codependent in that environment. In that environment, he's in an environment that uh, he chooses to live in. And it's toxic. It's dead people. I mean, you're living around dead people, cadavers, bodies. I mean, in the, the first century, that was, it was not a pleasant place to live. Toxic environment. And when you're pursuing your freedom, you've got to understand, I'm going to get to this again. When you're pursuing a free freedom in your life, you're going to have to ask yourself some really important and sometimes hard questions. Some questions might be like, can I continue to stay in this place and maintain my freedom? And what's more important? Now, some of you have crossed that road in various ways. Some of you have had jobs before. I bet you've had a job that was so dysfunctional and crazy. All of us have. It was so dysfunctional and crazy, there came a moment when you looked at it and said, am I going to stay here just because I make money, but it's driving me nuts? Or do I make the decision to get out of the twilight zone? Is anybody listening to me right now? See, there comes a moment that if you want to be free and stay free, you make decisions like that. But the people who stay bound refuse 
to move out of toxic environments. Number three, exhausted all human solutions to issues. In other words, he had dysfunction beyond the experts. I mean, they tried. They, they, well, look, look what they finally got down to. They bound him with shackles and chains. That was their answer to this man, Legion. What's the answer for Legion? He's crazy. He's screaming all the time, running around naked everywhere he goes. I mean, he's great to invite to a party because he always gets the lampshade on his head first. But he's, other than that, he's nuts. What are we going to do with him? We can't help him. We sent him to the psychiatrist. We committed him for, you know, a couple months. He can't work. He's not got no money. He's scaring the kids. What do we do? I know what we'll do. We'll just go buy him some chains and chain him up. That was, the, that was the last resort, I can assure you. Chain him up. And not even the chains, it says, could hold him. He'd exhausted all earthly solutions. He had dysfunction beyond the experts. That's a sign of an oppression. <laughs> that almost seems self-evident, doesn't it? Number four, a refusal to listen or respond to others. Sometimes when oppressions are happening... You know, oppressed people sometimes are the last ones to know it. They're the last, everyone in their life knows it. Everyone knows it. They're the last ones to get it. They don't want to listen to others, and, and, and so it was with him. He wasn't, wasn't paying attention. He wasn't listening. Number five, I put an emotional roller coaster ride. I put down there bipolar. That's what we call that today. Our, our, that's our modern psychological vernacular. You're bipolar. When there's these wild mood swings that take place in people's lives. He was on an emotional roller coaster. There were times, evidently, that he was probably at peace. And there were other times he was, he was crazed. He was a crazed individual. That is a sign of an oppression. Um, suicidal thoughts. The scripture says he was trying to cut himself. Cutting himself. It's a sign of an oppression, a heavy depression that was going on. And finally, there was, well, not finally, number seven, paranoia. Because he sees Jesus, and he thinks Jesus is out to mess him up. Because he says, from afar off, what have I to do with you, Jesus? I implore you that you don't torment me. Now, isn't that, isn't that an interesting phrase? I mean, he thinks Jesus is going to mess up his life. Have you ever met somebody, they're an alcoholic, they're addicted, they can't keep a job, they're behind on their bills, they're getting evicted from their house, their family wants nothing to do with them, and you want to share with them the Lord, and they think Jesus is going to mess up their life. And you want to take them in a headlock and run them into a brick wall. <laughs> what are you doing, dude? Mess your life, or you got nowhere to go but up. Nowhere to go. But that was what he thought. He, he, he thought, had a fear that somehow Jesus was out to get him. And then lastly, I put down here because he's running around naked. And, and again, it doesn't matter whether you're in the first century or the 21st century. There's, there's something not quite right if you don't want to keep your clothes on. I realize Hollywood hadn't figured that one out yet. I understand. But it's confused. You understand it's oppressed. There's confusion that's going on. We're living in a very confused society. 
I, I mean, I, I, to this day, it amazes me. I, I mean, I understand because I'm a conservative, evangelical, spirit-filled, Bible-teaching pastor. So you would expect from me to say things like, uh, you know, homosexuality is wrong according to the scriptures, and that would be that would be a confused person. And, and I'm not making. I, I don't want to. I don't. You know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to offend and, or make light of it, but. When you can't figure out on your body what's an exit and what's an entrance, you're confused. You're confused. Now, let me tell you what's more confused. It's when someone says they're bisexual. You're confused. You're confused. Paul said in Romans, all of nature speaks these things. It's, it's you know, just that nature kind of set it up in such a way that God didn't even have to put a sign on everything. You just kind of watch it for 24 hours and you figure these things out. But people are confused. Confused. And when there's that confusion, it's signs of an oppression. Now, let's get to what are the conditions now? I've only got a few minutes. What are the conditions for your deliverance? And I'm going to get to these lists, write them down quickly. I've only got a few moments. Number one is this. God is sovereign, but has expectations concerning your cooperation. God is powerful. It's the most amazing thing about God. He can do anything he wants to do. Nothing can stop him. He is absolutely the biggest, the greatest, and, and it will happen the way he wants it to happen. But he has linked himself to your ability to choose. That's why the scripture says things like, choose you, therefore, this day, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So God, even though he's sovereign, has linked himself to your will. You've got to choose. Do you want to be free? Do you, do you want to be bound? Do you want to play games? Do you want, do you want to get real? Do you really want to... To arise and have victory, or are you willing to negotiate with your enemies and find out that when you negotiate, they always come back and ensnare you again? God is sovereign, but he has some expectations concerning your cooperation. You have to get involved in your freedom. You have to be willing to do the things that require energy and work. If you don't, you'll slide back into your old state. Now, an encounter, we've done this at old encounters. We're going to do this a little bit more at this encounter. And there are going to be moments after we instruct and do some things, not all the time, but on several occasions, you're going to be asked to go to a place by yourself in the sanctuary, and you're going to have to get before the Lord yourself and make some decisions before the Lord, pray before the Lord, and, and, and do some work in order to get your freedom. If you elect to sit there and... then you'll still be bound. But if you elect to say, I'm in the hunt, I'm, I'm going to do this, you're going to find freedom. We, we aren't here to fix. This isn't a weekend fix. Everybody wants an event. The church of the 21st century is built on events. We always have an event. You have an event, then the event will fix you. No, it won't. Billy Graham had events, and he would even later say that 90% of the people that made commitments never followed through on them. That was his own statement. Okay, so, so he has expectations. God does. Number two, you need to remember that you're not an exception to the rule. Now, I say this with all love. I, I really, I love people. I want them to be helped. I've been pastoring for 27 years, 
I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't like people because let me tell you, 27 years with God's people, that, that proves I love people. But listen to me, listen to me. If you could be whole on your own, you would be there by now. Encounter really is the humility to say to somebody, help me. Help me. And also, what we, what we teach works for everyone. And the reason I can say that is because God's not a respecter of persons. And your challenges are not that much different than other people's challenges. I'm always amazed, again, when people come, sometimes they'll come counsel, and they'll look at me and they'll say, Pastor, I'm going to share with you a story that I'll bet you've never heard before. You, I'm telling you this, you've never heard this before. And they'll get into it about two minutes, and I want to say, can we stop there? I've heard this before. Now, it's not, but, but you listen to people because they need to express themselves, so that's not... But, but I'm simply saying we all have similar issues because we're all human beings, okay? So you're not an exception. If you will do what God says to do, you'll find that he will be true with you. Number three, and it's not about a lack of authority or power. It's interesting that Jesus had been saying, in fact, the literal Greek rendering there in uh, verse 8, for it says, for he said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. It's literally in an in a ongoing progressive tense which literally Jesus had been spending some time working with this guy, uh, calling out these devils that were inside of him, saying, come out of the man, come out of the hand. So Jesus had been working with this guy for some time before we pick up the story past verse 9. Now, I'm just going to say this to you. Jesus didn't lack authority and power. Jesus didn't lack what it took in order to bring somebody to freedom. He had all the gear necessary to get the job done. Jesus was not the problem. People that help you will not be your problem. The problem was, is that Legion had to do some things even after verse 9 in order for freedom to erupt in his life. All right? Legion had things to do. And this is why we're looking at this. So now I'm going to give you the list of conditions. And we're going to move through this quickly. You're going to see all eight of them at once. So you can write them all down. They're all questioned. I put them in question form. Because I want the Holy Spirit tonight to use these questions in your life in a very personal way. I know I'm the one that's talking, but I'm believing somehow in my words, the Holy Ghost is moving and working and talking to your heart. All right? And these are the questions and the conditions that will lead you to the place of freedom. Number one, have you reached the place of exhaustion? If you're not tired of being messed up, then you're probably not ready for deliverance and freedom yet. I have found that, that if, if, if your life or your dysfunction is a mere nuisance, you'll put up with it for some more. It's not until you say to yourself, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm done living how I've been living. If you're not at the end of your rope, at the bottom of the barrel, then oftentimes what we do is, is that we just don't, we don't get real and bare before God. You remember the woman with the issue of blood. In the scripture, said that she'd been going to doctors her whole life, but nothing stopped it. She'd literally, not to be indelicate, she'd been on a period for three decades. Now, ladies, this one moment I say, thank God I'm a man, because I've got, I've got a couple women in my household. I understand how this works. It's not a pleasant time of the month. 
Can you imagine that time of the month being every day of every month for three decades? Ladies, you, all of you I know would say that is not good. Not good. She was desperate. That's why she got on her hands and knees on the streets of Jerusalem, even though the streets were filled with, with uh, uh, you know, camel dung, dog doo-doo, people through there. We don't want to even go there. That was what was on the streets of Jerusalem, which is why you washed your feet before you went into someone's house. It wasn't like walking the Grand Strand. Get a little sand between your toes and it's cool. What you got between your toes wasn't cool. And you didn't want to go to the dinner table with it. But she's on her hands and knees in the crowd saying, if I just touch the hem of his garment, that is, that's a picture of a desperate woman. Blind Bartimaeus in much the same way was a guy blind since birth. The crowd's telling him to keep quiet and he keeps yelling out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. Everybody's going, shh, 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 And he just keeps yelling out. Why did he do it? Made a spectacle of himself because he's a desperate person. Have you reached that place that you're ready to reach out and say, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready to walk through doo-doo to get to Jesus? Amen. Number two, are you willing to respond immediately and run to an answer? Imagine being in a dentist chair for an extraction and the minute he begins to pull that tooth that's been causing you such great pain as you're sitting there you just push him away no don't do that well he goes i can't fix you well I'm, yeah well i'm paying you to fix me but i don't I, I don't want you to do that you see you got to let him put the instrument in and, and you got to let him extract the tooth because if he doesn't do that and if you don't do that immediately you're going to continue to live with your pain, you need to run to the place of answers. Submit to the moment of help. And if you'll do that like Legion did, says that he ran to Jesus. He saw Jesus from afar off and he ran to him. Isn't that amazing? As dysfunctional as he was, he had enough sense to say, here's an answer coming my way. Number three, are you willing to enter into complete repentance? Listen to me. If I go over two, three minutes, just give me a little extra time. My mic went out earlier. Repentance must be complete before you can enter into your deliverance. What repentance means is this. We don't preach repentance much anymore in the church either. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's repentance. That's why both Jesus and John the Baptist looked at the Pharisees and said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So repentance meant you changed your mind, but now's the time that you're going to have to begin to bear the fruit that indeed you have changed your mind. Now, the reason some people don't get help, they don't get healing, they don't get delivered is because they enter into what I call incomplete repentance. I'm going to give you a quick story here. Had a couple that had come into me, had been married for a good long while, 10, 15 years. Now, they had been uh, promiscuous before they had gotten married. They'd slept with each other. Obviously, that's fornication. According to the scripture, it's sin. Uh, they ultimately made the right decision. They got married, got it under a covenant, and, and they went forward and they wanted to serve God. But life, if their relationship was dysfunctional. They, they, there were just problems there constantly. And they were talking to me about it. And we were fishing around one day. That came out of the conversation. I started asking. I said, well, what did you do about that when, 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 
you know, you were obviously in, in a relationship. You were, you were sinning because you were having sex before you were married. What did you do about that? And they looked at me and they said, well, we got married. I said, well, that's good, but getting married doesn't atone for the sin. It's like when you find out you've been sinning and I look at you and say, what did you do about it? And you said, well, I went to church. Well, that's a good thing to do, but going to church doesn't atone for the sin. So what they have to do is they had to ask forgiveness. They had to get the sin under the blood. They had to repent from that activity. It was unrepented sin that they knew of. Are you following me? And the problem with a lot of Christians is, is that they never dealt with their past. What they do is oftentimes they've come to altars because there was an altar call and they wanted to give their heart to the Lord and they did. And, and sometimes the pastor, preacher, television guy didn't, didn't explain it. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it just is how it shook. But they go through the, the quick Romans road. They pray four or five sentences. Somebody shakes their hand. They fill the card. They tell them they're born again. Let's start your Christian life. And they start their Christian life. They're sincere in what they're doing, but they were never told they had to repent from where they were in order for God to begin to move uh, in power in their life. And so we've just found through the years that a lot of times there's resistance because repentance has not been entered into. So if you're coming to encounter, this is what I do. I go home over the next two days, say, Lord, if there's any uh, unrepentant sin in my life, Please unveil it to me and I'll get it under the blood. I'll get it in the light. Let's get it taken care of. And then you're going to be in a position where God can do amazing things in your life. Number four. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. Number four. Will you get to the root of your dysfunction and open door? What that means is, is that you have to dig down at times. And again, we're going to give you time to do this over the weekend. You're going to have to dig down and you're going to have to see where is it that this whole thing got started. And that the Lord needs to touch. It's interesting that the man he's dealing with, was na his name was Legion. A legion was a, a Roman uh, you know, group of soldiers. And I thought about this. And, 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 and when his name Legion came out, it struck me one time that, you know, this man may have been abused by the Roman army. He may have been raped by a Roman soldier. They did despicable things. Maybe he witnessed something that happened by the Roman soldiers to someone in his family. But Jesus asked what his name was and he had to get to the root of the issue. We sometimes call that, where was the open door? Where did this thing start? It's the place that gives the enemy legal right to mess with you as a believer. Some of you probably have been traumatized somewhere in your life. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you were rejected. As I deal with people, it boggles the mind what people face in life. If we can get to the root of what it was that traumatized you and caused an open door, it's there that the power of God can enter in, Jesus can enter in, and get the door closed. So you have to be willing to get to the root of it. Number five, are you willing to be transparent about that root? Legion had to say it. You can't hide things in the proverbial closet. That's what the South, I love the South. The South keeps everything in the closet. Everything's in the closet. We keep it in the closet because nobody can see it. And if nobody can see it, then it's not real. No. You've got to be, you gotta, you got to tell, Tracy and I have determined that we're going to start being transparent about our lives. Not everybody's comfortable with that. 
But that's the condition for wholeness. Those that aren't comfortable with transparency sometimes are hiding things. I'll just leave it there. Number six, will you recognize Christ as your only hope? Don't try him and see if he works. You need to see him as everything and the only thing you have. Number seven, are you prepared to sever some relationships? Legion was set free. This is what's interesting. When he was set free, the scripture tells us here, if we were to follow over, um, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, It said that his friends, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, I got to find it. Oh, verse 15. Legion was set free, verse 15. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And what does it say? Now, isn't that a weird verse? Now, think about that for just a second. Here's the dude that was running around naked, screaming, crazy, cutting himself, throwing things, broke himself from his chains. And you know what? The whole crowd, the crowd's, the crowd's loving it. I, hear me now. This is really important because I've seen this through the years. Everybody loves you when you're drunk, when you're crazy, when you're addicted, when you're blasted. Well, you know the reason why is because if you get drunk enough, you'll buy everybody in the bar free drinks. Yeah, they love Legion. And the minute Legion decides, I'm going to get myself right, and now he's got his clothes on, he's in his right mind, order's coming to his life, and all of his friends are going, what's wrong? It's the most amazing thing. People come and they, they get touched by Jesus. They go back to their friends, and their friends look at them, and they say, what's wrong with you? You know what the real answer is? Nothing. I'm the only one that's right in the room. And the question is, are you going to hang around with people who are wrong but think they're right, telling you're wrong but you're really right? Are you following me? So you've got to be ready to cut some relationships. They love, as long as Legion was naked and the party crasher, come on to the party, Legion. But the minute he was right, they didn't want anything to do with him. They were afraid. Some people never get whole because they refuse to be spiritually ruthless in evaluating their relationships. You know, like I said, I'm just giving you truth in advertising. Every time God does something in my life, I usually lose somebody. I'm gratefully both my wife and I have been trying to get right together now for years. So I think you know what I'm saying. And lastly, number eight. Will you change your environment that fosters your dysfunction? Legion, the scripture tells us here in verse 19, he left his environment. He actually went to a place called Decapolis. He had to leave the environment. He had to leave the graveyard. He had to leave the place that he was at. Changed his environment in order that he could keep his wholeness. I just wrote this down and I'm done. No job. No school, no college, no dorm, no friend, no hobby, no sport, no family member is worth me staying in my chains. I love my mom and dad, but they're not keeping me dysfunctional. I love my sister. I love her family. I love you. 
I do. I love all of you in this room. But, I, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to keep me in my dysfunction as much as I love you. You're following me. You got to change your environment. It's time. It's time to eject from from the environment at times. And again, you say, "Well, well I can't. I maybe it's a job. I can't see. I'm, I'm not saying go out and quit tomorrow, or I'm, I'm, don't take me wrong. But there comes a moment, and I've done this in my life, and some of you have, where you say to yourself, "It it, it ain't worth the big bucks anymore to live in this toxic cesspool. It's just not worth it. I, I'd rather live." in an 800-square-foot apartment than in my 5,000-square-foot mega house because it just ain't worth it. It's worth it to me to have my peace than it is to have a bunch of money that I thought was going to make me happy and whole, but it hadn't done anything for me. See, that's what we're talking about. You get to the place where you can answer these questions honestly, then you're a candidate for freedom. Now, I've seen people come through 26 times we've done this since 2005. I've seen some incredible testimonies. I've seen some starting testimonies that didn't make it. I've seen some that just faded off the chart. I want everybody to make it, but I can't promise you'll make it unless you meet the conditions to get your freedom. You want to be free? I want you to be free. Jesus wants you to be free. God's doing everything he can to set you free. Now's the choice. Do you want to be free? Stand with me, okay?